welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. Whether you work for government or industry, if you're anywhere in the acquisition world and you want to understand a little more about how the other side thinks, this podcast is for you. Today, we're talking about preparing for the worst, even when things seem to be going well. Let's get started. We're going to start today's episode by leveraging your college degree. How cool is that? Yes, I believe it or not, I have one of my degrees. I have an English degree. And I'll go back to that with my 18th century quote here. Uh, the English poet named Thomas Gray wrote a, a poem in 1742 titled Ode on a Distant Prospect of Eton College. Yeah. In that, he wrote, and you'll recognize this, where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. Unfortunately, the only thing that pe- most people remember now is ignorance is bliss. They, they forget the rest of it. I think what the actual quote means is sort of flipped around. Yeah, his point is that it's never folly to be wise. Therefore, it's never really bliss to be ignorant. It's like 18th century sarcasm, I guess. (laughs) Buried in a poem, ode on a distant prospect of Eton College. It's funny that that's what he wrote a poem about. (laughs) I don't think we have the patience for poets anymore. I don't think we have the time for that, right? I sometimes operate the same way. I mean, I guess most people do. Because when things are working, I tend to not worry about them, right? I mean, that's the ignorance is bliss model. As our company is growing, things are happening without me being involved in them, right? So things are happening in a way that I could say, hey, everything's fine, therefore ignorance is bliss. So I'm getting better at recognizing the risk of falling into that trap because it's still a shortcoming. Because when we don't know how things work, we won't know how to fix them when they break. So ignorance really isn't bliss. Before we get to how this applies to the GovCon world, let's stop and say thanks. I want to say thanks this week to Brian Newbold. Uh, Brian is a member of the professional staff on the U.S. Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs in Washington, D.C. I want to thank Brian specifically for sharing our podcast and our, our webinar on LinkedIn. When someone takes the time to recommend our podcast by sharing it with their connections on LinkedIn, that's one of the best ways for people to find our podcast. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate it. All right, back to ignorance is bliss or isn't bliss if you're actually using that that quote correctly. What are we talking about? I, I had, a, <laughs> had a recent experience that, that really brought this home and, and motivated me to create this episode. Our website portal started having JavaScript errors. When a new customer tried to join, this little thing would pop up and say, you have a JavaScript error. For five years, this didn't happen. Worked just fine. Someone would try to join the Skyway community, click through, it was perfect. Since we're not web developers, we didn't realize that this is a WordPress plugin that was causing it. We didn't know how to fix it. After having three web developers and even a software developer on it, we still weren't able to figure it out. And because this is a critical function of our website, it's kind of a big deal. And technically, I shouldn't know how to fix it because I'm not a web developer. However, we should have known exactly how it works. No, we should have known this is a problem we need, need to be able to fix. It's a critical piece of making our website work. We should have, at a minimum, had someone around that knew how to fix this kind of stuff, had a service contract in place for someone to call to be able to fix it when it broke. But because it was working and I was falling into the ignorance is bliss for five years, I didn't worry about making it work. Another example is something like insurance. When is the last time you reviewed your homeowner's insurance policy or your renter's policy? 
well, probably when something bad happened and you had to figure out what was covered and what wasn't. That's something that we tend not to think about, but probably should. As situations change, that's something that you kind of need to go back and make sure that you're prepared for it. Same thing with retirement savings. This is sort of a big one. You think, well, I'm putting 5% in my thrift savings plan or my 401k account, so everything will be okay. Then all of a sudden you look and you're 55 years old and you run the math and you say, wow, I wish I would have paid attention to this in the past and maybe tweaked what I was doing. As it turns out, the same kind of errors of this ignorance is bliss mindset occur in GovCon all the time. On the government side, it's easy to think, well, every time I release a request for proposal or a request for bids, I always get competition. I always get bids. That's what I thought. I mean, we, we always got competition because everyone wanted to sell to us. I mean, some of the places I worked, it's a cool place. Everybody, we got proposals every single time we put out an RFP. And why that appeared to work is because, well, let's throw in some far time. 5.102 requires that nearly all solicitations are posted in the same place. We have a podcast about that, episode 185. So yes, you're going to get a lot of offers because a lot of stuff is in the same play. They're seeing lots of opportunities and they want to sell to the government. So therefore, we assumed that we were getting the best offers from at least good companies. That's where the danger appears. Yes, we are always getting competition. We're always getting bids. But are we getting the best bids from the best companies to solve our problem? Or do we just keep getting bids from the companies that that are paying attention to the place where all the solicitations are posted? This, this came home to roost once where we had seven offers. And the one that was awardable still wasn't great. And it was a pretty big program. And I remember I was the reviewer of this one. I wasn't actually a contracting officer, but I remember going through the, the list and thinking, ouch, <laughs> it's like the best of seven crappy options. And, you know, that's a sad situation to be in. But again, I didn't realize it at the time. It can happen the opposite way too. Yeah. Or you could get no competition. And we think, well, why didn't this company bid? Uh, I can think of a couple of examples where the program manager, the customer, the user said, hey, we never got a proposal from company X and they were expecting one. And I, I, I had no answer for them. As a contracting officer, I, I don't know why they didn't bid. They didn't like the RFP or something. I posted it just like I post all the RFPs. Why didn't my favorite company bid? Or why didn't the company you thought were going to bid, bid? Yeah, and so everything was working fine until it wasn't. I didn't realize why it stopped working. It broke. Our, our beautiful system of creating lots of, of competition broke, and I didn't know why. Yeah, that's funny. You said everything was working fine. Working fine is that that's where you settle into the complacency of ignorance is, is bliss. Do you want it to work fine or do you want it to work great? Yeah, good point. So what to do? Target. <laughs> Back to that target and communicate. Government folks, make sure you make a clear understanding of what can industry actually do and you figure that out by talking to them. And again, I go back to the examples of the times that I did that. And you have lots of examples of the times that you did that. Talk to industry earlier and figure out, can they actually do what we want them to do? And is the evaluation process we're going to use get us the result we want? Because you'll get competition. Again, raising my hand. I got lots of opportunities that, to award to less than awesome companies. But you, like you said, you don't want it to just work. You'd really like it to work great so that you get the best companies to do the job. 
If you know there's great companies that you want to bid on your effort, don't assume they're going to see the RFP and bi- understand what you want and bid. That's where if you if you find great companies in your market research, reach out to them, make sure they understand what you need and why, and you'll get a better chance that they'll bid and and submit a bid that not only is competitive, but is the best bid so that you can award to them. Give me another government example, Kevin. Proposal responses. <laughs> what I thought, contractors had plenty of time to respond. I mean, writing an RFP was a heavy lift. Lots of people had to review it. It was just, it took, well, actually, in reality, months, a lot of times, to get a final RFP out the door. All they had to do was respond to it. But by comparison, that seemed you know, easier in quotes. Again, raising my hand, there were times that I actually thought that, you know, you you feel differently once you're on the other side and you see how the sausage is made. And the reason that worked is, go back to far time, 15208, submissions, modifications, revision, and withdrawal of proposals. Paragraph B1 says, in a nutshell, that if you don't submit this on time, it's late. So there's a there's a hard stop for them. There wasn't a hard stop for me putting that at the RFP. Yes, there was a requirement. Yes, we had end of your money, but I didn't have to do it by an exact time. I could delay a day or two because I was driving the bus. And the ramification of it being late is that the government doesn't even have to consider it. They don't even have to open your proposal. Yeah, by, yeah, by contrast, the contractor, they literally cannot submit it late. So what they do is they figure out a way to do it. They work nights and weekends. They work straight through. They work, they pull all nighters. They throw a lot of money at it. And yeah, if it's due by this date, it's going to be submitted by that date. Will it be good? Will it be responsive? Will it be actually what the government needs? Eh, it'll be close. <laughs> and it might not even come in. Their offers may have three or four opportunities to go after. And this one gave them 45 days and this one gave them 15, which I, Raising my hand, we had a commercial RFP and I did it in 15 and I found out after award that they considered not bidding on it because it was so short. So be careful that they, client selectivity, the contractors may choose what to go after. Yeah, remember every proposal is different. If you just have a standard practice that you give contractors 30 days to respond to every RFP, it may not fit. Sometimes that may be too long and you end up with a bunch of proposals full of jargon and blah, blah, like we talked about, because they had a whole lot of time to keep writing and keep writing. Sometimes it could be too short. Maybe they needed 45 days or 60 days to submit a proposal that was really responsive to the RFP. If you don't get the timing right, then you may end up awarding to a contractor who wrote a better proposal, not provided a better solution. Let's flip over and talk about ignorance is bliss on the industry side. In some cases, a company has a better chance to win a competition because of the government's acquisition strategy. The way they've set it up, it favors a particular company or or type of company. Think of these like acquisition-advantaged wins. The acquisition strategy or the government-specific need favors a particular company or an the example that comes to mind is a type of company where they were a specific type of company in a particular circumstance with a particular timing that the government needed, and they were on a particular IDIQ contract. Now, the story they gave me was, oh, we're the best at this. They keep awarding to us. When I looked at their their pipeline, I realized, and I'm not making this up, 97% of the revenue came from one IDIQ contract with one customer. 
the acquisition strategy that that agency was using created a path of least resistance to award to that company. So, so the company's thinking, I am really good. This customer loves us. I'm going to win every single one of these task order. Yeah. They're thinking they got it in the bag. They're, they're, they're thinking that I don't need to learn the normal process, the actual fully competitive process, because I can keep doing this. The reason it worked with a far time is that, six, for example, 6.302-5, which allows for direct source awards. There's FAR 8.4, it's a GSA. There's FAR 19, it gives small business preferences. Even FAR Part 17, which uh, the undefinitized contract action, and we have podcasts about all of those. All of them are rapid streamlined acquisitions that are based on relationships or expertise of the company, or maybe your socioeconomic status. These are effective and appropriate tools. They're, they are very effective to use as a contracting officer. Here's the catch. They're shortcuts. They're, they're not a panacea. In fact, a couple of them say you can't do this forever. A couple of them say you can only do this for one year. So it only, it only works for a while. And if you don't realize that this shortcut is what you're winning your work on, when the work stops, it's pretty painful. So if you're a 8A company and you have the ability to get set-asides handed right to you, your eligibility to stay in the 8A program only lasts a certain amount of time. It's, it's meant to get you on your feet and move you into the next stage of being a big and responsible company. If you're not paying attention and you're not preparing for how much harder it's going to be to get business after that eligibility expires, you could really be in trouble. Ignorance is not bliss. Or the acquisition process could mature, meaning that it didn't make sense for the government to do this as a sole source anymore. Or you talk about this a lot. The technology's changed, so you're no longer the only one that does it, or it's no longer a it's no longer a non-commercial item, a, a non-developmental item. Or here's a we have a podcast about this. The small business goals of the agency change, and you're no your type of business is no longer their favorite. Right, as harsh as that sounds. So what to do? Well, be aware of why you're winning. Don't be complacent. You have to understand which one of these shortcuts are you using and what's the runway, I guess, or the, what's the risk of you running out of runway on them. In some cases, the government's acquisition strategy favors you or a, a type of company. In some cases, a relationship with a particular office or person gives you an advantage to win an acquisition or to, to get that follow-on contract. The contracting officer has a lot of discretion to select the acquisition strategy based on the path of least resistance combined with a relationship with usually a small business. I ran into a company that I talked to a couple of years ago that they had over $3 million in contracts, small business. They were, they were getting a lot of micro purchases and the person that they were working with retired in the revenue. And, I'm, and again, I'm not making this up. That's what they told me. $3 million a year to 300K. That was the difference because the path of least resistance for them was based on the relationship they had with this particular agent, the contracting officer at this agency. So the company's just thinking, this is easy. I got this thing in the bag. All these awards just keep coming to me. I will keep getting these contracts forever because this lady is going to just hand me the money. And then she retires. She's no longer with the government and your business is cut tenfold. Yeah, by 90%. And, and by the way, I want to clarify, there's, there's nothing wrong with how this contracting officer was doing it. This is lots of micro purchases. 
So there was, this was the appropriate way to do it. It's just that she got used to using this one company. The reason it worked, it was path of least resistance for her. And again, we go back to a couple of those FAR references like 6.302-5, which allows for direct source. FAR 19 allows CEO's discretion for rapid streamlined acquisitions that can be based on things like relationship expertise and socioeconomic status. So especially at small dollar levels, like under 25K, under 150K, under 4 million for eight days. I mean, again, depending on where you are, definition of small changes. But this is a shortcut and they work for a while and this isn't all bad. But once they stop working, it's pretty painful. There are a lot of reasons why the relationship can change. And it, it could be on the technical side where the requirement changes enough that a different acquisition office is now in charge of it. So the people that you thought you were dealing with are no longer in charge. The regulations could change on you. So suddenly the threshold changes and they can't just hand you money anymore. The, it's not as micro as it used to be, or it's more micro than it used to be. <laughs> Or the, de- or the definition of micro changed yeah. in the FAR, meaning that the regulations changed and it makes it less easy. It's no longer the path of least resistance or some really wide open IDIQ strategy that the government came up with is actually easier. Or, and here's one that's really scary, the government might not be happy with you anymore, but they don't tell you that. They just don't award to you. And that's, again, that's, a, that's what's called a single threaded sale where there's one person in the organization who likes you and if that person changes their mind or leaves, all of a sudden you have no thread and poof, the work goes away. So how do you fix it? Again, communication. Communicate with the customer. Understand why you're winning this work. Is it single-threaded? By the way, it shouldn't be single-threaded. You want to talk to the, as many people in the organization as you can, realizing that's not always easy. But that's the risk here, is if you don't understand why you're winning this, then you're, when it cuts out, you won't know how to fix it. All right, Kevin, we're just about ready to wrap this one up, but we haven't quite met all of our responsibilities here on the podcast. One of those is to mention where this fits in the acquisition time zones and the execution time zones. Pre-award on the acquisition time zone side, ignorance is not bliss at any point in the process. From the requirements at the beginning, through market research, Through the release of the RFP and the writing of the proposals, and even in the source selection zone, if you don't understand what the factors are that have been leading to success, whether in in getting plenty of competition or in winning all this work if you're on the industry side, if you don't understand what those factors are, you could be paying attention to the wrong things, or maybe you're just not paying attention at all. Post-award on the execution time zones, this also applies throughout the whole process. For example, if you don't know really why you won the work, the tone of the kickoff meeting or the introduction phase of the contract is going to be different. If you don't know the real reasons why you won the work, when the contract has progressed to the recompete zone where the government is thinking about competing a follow-on, you may not understand the factors that they really cared about. You may have won by luck or accidentally if you haven't been paying attention, if you've been functioning under ignorance is bliss, you're going to have less chance of winning the follow-on. And if you're not familiar with execution time zones, they're in episode 84. And the acquisition time zones, which you talked about, or we cover those in episode number three. All right, Kevin, now let's wrap this one up for the day. We got to figure out how things work. Well, like the payment portal plugin on our website. 
not knowing how that worked was, was risk, right? So at least we got to figure out what is the risk of something not working, even if we don't know how it works. Because if we don't know how it works, we're not going to be able to fix it when it breaks. You have to ask yourself difficult questions. You have to remember to ask yourself these in the midst of everything working well. You have to remember to ask yourself questions like, what is different since we put this thing in place? Or what's different since the last time I really looked at it? And most importantly, if it's been working all along, what's most likely to change in the future that could make it not work anymore? Is, is it causation? Like, did I cause this? Or is there just some correlation that because I'm this type of company, they keep giving me the work? Or because I put it on FBO, therefore I get proposals. Well, it's not the same thing. Like, what you're doing isn't necessarily causing the result. The result may just be happening. For government folks, don't assume that boilerplate will meet your needs. And by boilerplate, we mean taking the language from one RFP and just reusing it wholesale for the next acquisition. Every acquisition is different, even when it's a follow-on. It's not saying you can't use any materials that were prepared before, but you have to read all of it and make sure it still makes sense. If you don't know whether it makes sense or not, ask questions of industry and, and of your users to gain context and make sure that the RFP that you're releasing this time fits your needs this time. On the industry side, consider the risk of not knowing what you don't know. Uh, unknown unknowns, they can be brutal. Like this example of our payment portal, it's like the cash register in our business is inexplicably locked. <laughs> That's really, really inconvenient, right? If you spend time working to understand the risks that are most likely to derail your business, then you have a chance of managing them. Could be something simple, like your 8A status is expiring. There's a date when you're no longer able to compete under that program. And now you're going to have to compete with the whole world of small businesses or, or even large businesses. That's something you should know. Or it could be like you're talking about, like suddenly the payment plugin stops working because somebody updated something on some side and now that's not talking together. You can't really plan for when that's going to happen, but you can plan for what you're going to do if it does. And with that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. I'll see you, Paul. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, we invite you to check out the Skyway community at skywaymember.com. The Skyway community is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, growing, and running a business with government contracts. We speak GovCon. Whether you're brand new to GovCon, just got your first contract, or you're already a successful government contractor, being a Skyway community member gives you the edge. To learn more, call us at 877-884-5280 or check us out at skywaymember.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.